Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Are you interested in the latest and greatest of personalized health and really owning what does it take to live a long and longevity life using cutting edge technologies? Well, on today's podcast, I have Ismail. He is an entrepreneur on the mission to invent solutions to wicked problems through technology and social innovation. He has co-founded eight ventures in a variety of areas, including sustainable architecture, co-working, civic engagement, carbon analytics, education, and research. He is the board chair of MAPS Canada and the co-founder and director of the Psychedelic Data Society and the co-founder and CEO of Quantify Citizen, a mobile health research platform working on the disruptive and democratization health research starting with psychedelic science. So without any delay, I'd like to welcome Ismail. Hey, hey thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I'm super excited to have you on and to talk to you about this, the cutting edge technology with health and psychedelic research. And I think there's so much around like psychedelic research and things that are um, a lot of things that people know that are at the at the edges of this that don't actually and then that isn't really being communicated to the masses. And so thank you for coming on. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Um, I'd love to first just kind of kick things off on just understanding what was your journey to really getting into this space? You know, where, where were you at in the beginning and, and what were some of the steps along the journey? Yeah, well, I'm, you know, uh, as you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I've, I started a few companies. I'm really interested in tech. I ended up doing uh, one of the programs at the Singularity University pro, uh, uh, at uh, NASA uh, and I got really excited about exponential technologies and and just where things are going with AI and um, and I just was got to a point where I just I realized that if I don't disrupt myself, I'm going to be disrupted. You know, in the companies that I'm working on. So I started employing these technologies right away uh, in the businesses that I was involved in, and I've always been excited by this possibility of of democratizing like the, the fact that technologies get to the point of uh, full democratization the cost comes down quite a bit and and they really disrupt industries and i've been thinking i've been so pissed off about how the healthcare industry works and how health research works it's not an area that i have any expertise in just to be totally honest here yeah. uh, but it's an area that you know i deal with on a regular basis when it comes to my own my own health uh in pacing in canada with the healthcare program and it's just it's it's a shitty experience. It, it's like uh, you know you don't have access to your own information. Uh, it, if you want to participate in research, it's like a black box. Uh, you don't have any insight, any information that comes back. And I thought, wait a minute, this is an air opportunity to really disrupt this industry. But it really started with just kind of a personal curiosity, which is a lot of times how companies start. Mm -hmm. uh, my good friend and I, who's my uh, co-founder and CTO of Quantified Citizen, Kaylin Harvey, and I. We both got curious about psychedelic microdosing mm -hmm. and we were curious if it had any kind of benefit beyond the placebo effect yeah. and at the time uh the, the only evidence that was out there was anecdotal and it was but it was good you know it was from jim fadden and sophia corb uh the, you know jim is the godfather of microdosing and you know there are a lot of claims on the benefits you know a lot of the silicon valley bros were doing microdosing and saying it's going to help helps them with their focus or creativity and i was like 
does it really like, like yeah. let's do an experiment, like a self-blind experiment. So we started working on an experiment ourselves and that turned into a simple app, little MVP. It got more and more elaborate, more and more friends wanted to join. And eventually more and more doors opened up. We ended up meeting uh, Dr. Pam Crisco, who introduced us to Paul Stamets. We got connected to the BC Center for Substance Use, a number of amazing organizations and researchers worldwide who said, hey, you guys are onto something. The ability to collect anonymous and structured health data from people's mobile phones to inform uh, psychedelic research. This has many applications beyond psychedelics. And so that's when we realized we had a business in our hands and we incorporated mm -hmm. and started from there. That's awesome, man. The, the the personal journey. And also, I love the fact that you're like, hey, I'm not an expert in this. I just knew I had a problem and I want to figure this out. And yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, it's like, you know, you you kind of it was sort of proof to us that that, yeah. you know, we were like, hey, there's got to be some kind of citizen science app or platform, some platform where we could run experiments. And so there wasn't that we did, we could find. So we're like, well, we'll just invent our own. Um, and then we're like, well, who are we to, as non-PhDs, non-experts, to come up with a study? You know, and it's like, well, who are we not? And so we, we said, well, let's just try it and see what happens. And that turned into, you know, of course, we partnered with a number of people with PhDs and, you know, academic institutions and stuff that eventually gave a, enough uh, 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 validity to the study that we were doing uh, to then get it published twice in Nature Scientific Reports. And we have over 19,000 participants in our microdosing study that we've done at microdose.me. So it's a huge accomplishment. It's a huge validation for Kaylin and I as entrepreneurs to realize, hey, you know what? We can do this. We can create a platform to democratize health research. We can come up with a study idea. Uh, we can actually make an impact in the world. Imagine if wh who, what else you could do with this if other people were to use this tool. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the power of, I mean, you're taking the ancient technologies of the psilocybin microdosing, all that, all that stuff, psychedelics and combined together with AI and, and group sourcing seems invaluable. And, and it makes a ton of sense. It's just being brave enough to step out there and wave that flag, which I'm, I'm sure you've gotten some, some slack about the things about stepping into the space and making it happen. Can you talk about some of the different challenges that you've had trying to make this company work? Sure. Um, you know, I think, the um i think the biggest challenge in the beginning was uh hey you, you guys are doing you know i think the name itself right quantified citizen yeah. it's it, you know it's a portmanteau of quantified self and citizen science and so uh you know it's about democratizing research and so a lot of people in the professional research world are like eh, that sounds like hokey dokey citizen science like that's not real research uh you're not going to get you know garbage in garbage out like you know this is not this is not going to work and so that's the that's a big challenge that we faced, um, mm. uh, and and so that's why we focused at first on the professional researchers. So all of our customers, all the groups that we're working with, are professional research scientists with PhDs and affiliations with universities or life science companies, to really validate the product, the research platform, before we open it up to the full citizen science version. Um, you know, another another challenge. It was just kind of just a little anecdote. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, and who it was, but we were in a position of racing to get this uh, app ready for Paul uh, Stamets to announce it on Joe Rogan. Mm -hmm. And um, we needed to get the project through research ethics and to get approval before we could launch it. And so we were trying to work with an academic institution on this, a, 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 an organization affiliated with a university. And they wanted 
a huge amount of money and they wanted like a year and a half of time to kind of work on the, the, the protocol and the whole application and everything like that. And we're entrepreneurs. So we're just like, that's way too slow and way too expensive. Like why, you know, why don't we just do it? We'll just do it ourselves and, and, and get, and get work with some you know advisors to, to make it happen. And we are told in a board meeting, who are you to do that? You don't have a PhD. You can't do this. You need us. And it was exactly the kind of thing that I needed to hear. I was just like, fuck you. You can do this. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to make this happen. And we did. We wrote the majority of that research protocol that went through research ethics. It got, amend it got adapted by the, the principal investigator and other researchers involved. But someone had to do the bulk of the work to keep it going. And we we're able to do that. And so that that was a big challenge that we were able to overcome just by just saying we're going to do this ourselves with support from experts. Oh man, imagine that pressure! You're like, okay, I want to get announced in the Joe Rogan show. We've got to get this across the finish line. Come yeah. on! I know, I know. Yeah, I mean, the other pressure I could just say is like my both my business partner and I were uh, just about to have our our first kids. Like you know, oh, and wow. uh, yeah, obviously not together, but <laughs> separately and. Uh, well, you never know, right? These days, but um, sure. and uh, uh, and so we were thinking, okay, well, we're going to launch the company, you know, in six months, or you know, we're going to give take some time off being dads, and mm -hmm. then launch the company. But when Paul Stamos was like, "All right, I'm going to announce this in November," and this is, you know, he told us in August, and you know, my kid was born in August, or he told us in July, my kid was born in August, and Kaylin's kid was born in September. We were just like, "Oh my God, how are we going to do this?" You know like, you know, with a new babies on the way, but again, you know, we managed to do it. So thanks to all the support from our loving wives for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's the, the, that's teamwork right there, especially got to throw the baby in the air and play catch. So uh, yeah. let's talk a bit, a little bit about there's two, I have two questions on that one, but one, the first one being around is, you know, this, this platform that you have, that's not currently available to the publics, but you're getting a lot of research data out of it. I know Paul Stemmen talks about how psychedelics and these ones can be neurogenesis and it can grow brain cells. And there's other things about that that has benefits. But what is what's some of the data or scientific facts that you've seen come out of the research that you've done? Well, um, just to be clear, so we, we have um, uh, we have a public app, mobile app and a private mm -hmm. mobile app. So mm -hmm. our public mobile app is the one that runs our observational studies and mm -hmm. including the microdose study that you're mentioning that Paul Stamets is involved in, microdose.me study. And so that's available. Anyone can download that app and participate mm -hmm. in, in various studies that are on that um, mm -hmm. uh, app. There's multiple studies and more coming. The private app is for clinical trials. And so we're working on a number of clinical trials with customers mm -hmm. on the private app, which is invite only. Um, mm -hmm. What I think you're referring to is the researcher web app where you create the study on and, and you can deploy it to participants so that that platform is right now it's invite it, we're just working with beta customers on that sure. and uh um and so yeah you're right it's 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 really we're being selective about who who we bring on as customers um but to answer the question around insights yeah. uh you know I, I i can't really speak to more than what was published unfortunately just because of the the nature of um you know uh, how how it works with academia being part of the research team uh, there's a lot more insights that we've discovered that we uh, we can't share until they're um, peer-reviewed mm. uh, that i'm excited about so just you know hang in there we have the two papers that have been published there's there's the there's about five more on the way 
Um, but, you know, just to summarize, you know, on the two papers that were published that, you know, we, we were able to, we found, you know, with our observational studies, which are, again, only show correlation, not causation, right? Causation is for clinical trials. So correlation, we found strong correlation, statistically significant correlations in improved mental health outcomes for those who microdose compared to those who didn't microdose. The amazing thing in, about our, our participant pool, which we have over 19,000, is that half of those participants did not even microdose during the, the study period, which is known our study period is three months long. Um, and uh, so these are people who are just participating to be part of the control group, which is amazing. So we're able to compare results to a control group of those who are not microdosing. Um, the second paper, which is more focused on uh, kind of a proxy for neurogenesis, you, you could say, is just around the some of the cognitive performance uh, that we found mm -hmm. that was uh, surprising and exciting that uh, where we found improvements for participants who are over the age of 55 relative to uh, those who were uh, compared to those who are not microdosing on co the cognitive performance uh, tap test. So significant improvements with those who are microdosing uh, and significant improvement was specifically with psilocybin. And then when people were, when we compared just the psilocybin, that entire group of psilocybin broke it out to psilocybin and those who stacked with psilocybin, lines, main and niacin, we found even higher improvements for those who stacked. So mm -hmm. that's pretty exciting to, you know, when you think about that, the application of that in, in the world, I mean, we're all faced, gonna be facing neurodegenerative diseases to some extent. And so if there was a natural product that we could be taking that would actually help address that, that's pretty game changing. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many, I mean, being able to not only um, neurogenesis grow brain cells, but also around mental health. And, you know, uh, there's you know, John Hopkins studies around antidepression and, and that type of stuff. It seems massively beneficial. It's this, I feel like this technology, because it, it's, it can be um, uh, put into a box of a fun drug, a good times, have a good times. There's this thing of it being effective and and fun that it, the people don't treat it as actual medicine. They don't view it in some ways as a sacred. Now, there's a there's a population of people that respect it, that understand how how beneficial it is, and have actually used it to actually have deep impact on their lives. But then people that maybe haven't experienced it have these negative mindsets around it. So have you seen people uh, shift their mindsets from being completely against it to uh, looking at the benefits by showing the data? I'm, I'm very curious about that. Um, um, expanding people's consciousness, no pun intended, um, from where of, of you know, uh, you can't do this. You're not a scientist. This won't work for you. There's no, there's not benefits here to being able to show the effects to actually saying having to become undeniable. Have you seen that type of stuff happen? Well, I mean, I've seen it anecdotally just with people around me. Um, yeah. uh, but then we actually do have a study that has over 2,000 participants in it by the uh, Diamond Therapeutics, a Canadian life science company that was specifically on this topic around attitudes towards psychedelics. Uh, again, it's a it's a customer study. I can't talk about um, the, re the the results, uh, but we did help um, <laughs> process it and analyze that for them <laughs> as part of our contract. And uh, yeah. and so those should be coming out hopefully soon. I hope they're going to publish them um, uh, because they're they're pretty exciting and interesting. 
Um, so that's kind of the challenge, uh, you know, in terms of like we have our own internal research that we do and studies yeah. that that, and so I can talk about those. Um, and but when we're for the client-facing um, research studies, you know, it, it really they're a bit more uh, tricky, and right. it depends on how involved we are in, in the projects. But yeah. yeah, I would say just from my sense is uh, is that there is a, a significant attitude change. If you just look at what's out there in the social media, you just look at you know mm -hmm. even like the Google search trends for psychedelics for microdosing. Um, you know, like in Canada where I live, it, it's you can actually and it, actually a lot of places in the states too. You can mm -hmm. buy microdosing kits online and in stores. In some in Canada, there's you retail walk right in. It's illegal. But you can still do that. It's like the 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 we. It's like everybody knows, including the police. This is going to be like cannabis, or this is going to shift. And and there's a lot of acceptance uh, around this. And there isn't crime crime related to these kinds of substances. There isn't this abuse that we see in other kinds of substances. And so it's amazing that there's this social acceptance that's happening to such an, a crazy extent. You know, including elderly people especially people who read Michael Pollan's book and yeah. then the documentary that came out. And there's more and more, you just look at Netflix and the, the number of videos that have been coming out in series related to psychedelics. It's just been increasing exponentially uh, in the last, you know, seven years or something. So I think for sure the attitudes are changing. People are becoming much more, um, you know, uh, comfortable with, with psychedelics. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, but I was always curious about those, you know, there's different moments in time that will cause people to shift their mindset from A to B. And there's like, you know, sometimes you tell them stories or of course, always doing it themselves gives them the ability to know personally, because that, you know, then it's, it's integrated into, you know, an embodied experience as you worry versus getting enough data to kind of shake off that old precepts and beliefs. And I, I did hear, uh, I was at um, Burning Man and I saw Rick Doblin speaking once and he was talking about how, you know, it will go the same way that we did with medical marijuana, how the medical marijuana is the foot in the door. And then it allows you to really open up that that passageway to kind of say, OK, can we can we help people that aren't healthy become healthier? And then it kind of opens up progressively from there. So is that kind of the thought behind the going the clinical route and working with the scientists and all that stuff is to really become it, have that the data to be able to support it, to be able to kind of make it more available to the masses? Yeah, yeah. I mean, part of it, I, I, it, it can go kind of two different directions. I mean, if it, if like, I mean, it, you know, the the way that Maps is going is is more as a as a you know the pharma world of like prescribing you know MDMA and and substances and and you know, but in it for people with pretty serious conditions, which is important, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, it's not that path is not going to get into recreational use in in terms of like legal recreational use. Like it, it'll just be fully met you know, going through the medical system uh, mm -hmm. and what have you prescribed to get access to it. Um, how, there is a different path, though, and I think Canada might be in a, a good place to sort of pioneer this, which is a bit more of the cannabis path where mm -hmm. it actually becomes fully decriminalized and legalized and available uh, for, you know, in a safe, safe way, safe supply, controlled, so that GMP manufactured, we know that it's, it's safe, it's not, it's not tainted, that kind of thing. Um, and... Uh, and then it's regulated in that way. You know, personally, I'd I'd prefer to see it go in that direction. I don't mm -hmm. know though. I'm kind of mixed because I also think that it's not for everyone, and it it um, and uh, it, there's definitely a place for um, uh, 
psychedelics in a recreational way as well as in a therapeutic way. And, and I think that not enough people have really tried psychedelics in a therapeutic way uh, to address, you know, issues of say mental health or, um, and it's profound. There's a lot of amazing opportunities to go in that direction. So I'm not sure exactly which mm -hmm. way it'll go. Um, but, you know, for something like microdosing, you know, that to me feels like that would be great if you could just buy it in a health food store. I know, like, <laughs> absolutely. And, and, you know, you're, you're making a really good case for a lot of people to go move up to Canada because you guys seem oh, to have yeah. things a, a bit ahead of the ball uh, than what we have here um, down in the US, right? You're like, hey, we, we got it. We're chill. We got it. We understand. Um, so you're saying right now, in terms of microdosing kits, you're talking about grow kits, ways to be able to actually learn how to um, grow your own medicine. Is that correct when you're talking about microdosing kits? Well, those are available. Uh, you can yeah. buy those, no problem. But I'm saying actual um, bottles with microdose, like LSD or psilocybin in it, or even peyote, you can buy it in Canada. Really? You can, buy it, you can buy it in the state. Just Google it. Like you, there, There's companies that are just blatantly selling it and just taking a risk. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, the, the, the way of the like the cops going, okay, we, we're just not going to pay attention to this because we know this is going to happen anyways. That's incredible. Well, you know, the thing is, like right now, the the you know, there's a lot of research that there's a lot of work with the with the police, with first responders, um, using uh, psychedelic psilocybin, um, yeah. uh, ayahuasca, uh, yeah. and a few other substances, MDMA, even um, to treat PTSD that they're going through. So a lot of them have um, experienced the benefits of it, and so they're like, well, you know, this is a good thing, and and so I think I think maybe that's also influencing um, mm. the behaviors have you seen um you know combining together obviously the medicine as itself right and then you generally speaking have an intention you go through the process and then you know the medicine helps with the intention um have you seen any synergistic stackings with certain modalities or therapies uh you know uh, the acceptance therapy or is there what have you seen in terms of combining together um uh, the psychedelics with certain types of so de therapy modalities to have a, a uh, an enhanced benefit. Um, well, I mean, we're uh, you know, there's 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 a lot of experimentation happening right now, and um, and so uh, and so, unfortunately, a lot of the 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 evidence is still anecdotal. So mm -hmm. you know, this is um, uh, this is why you know we built quantified citizen really is 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 to really explore the anecdotal and translate the anecdotal to structured clinically valid generalizable knowledge like you know there's people who are just doing all these experiments all the time combining a substance with a modality a different treatment you know whether it's psychedelics or not you know you take other mm -hmm. other regimes of people who have a, a health condition and they're trying a new supplement or some new you know a new diet or something like that um and, uh, and then, you know, they're sharing some of their tips and tricks on Reddit or social health platforms and things like that. And it's this anecdotal end of one kind of unstructured data, but how do you, how do you translate that into actual scientific uh, knowledge? And, and that's a really slow process right now, but um, you know, our goal with our company and our platform is to accelerate that process. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we're excited to be launching a number of studies to address that very thing that you're talking about. One of them is called the quantified trip report. So if you look at, um, which has to do with psychedelics in this case. So if you look at like Psychonaut Wiki or Arrowwood, these are these um, case, you know, 
trip reports, narrative-based trip reports. People will submit a trip. I'm on the substance, this dose, and they talk about it at different amount, you know, time points, what happened. Tons of research is based on that, that data. And people will run, you know, machine learning algorithms to understand this, um, this data. And then they'll even make clinical uh, decisions in terms of uh, life science companies on how to spend money, allocate resources towards clinical trials based on this very messy data. Just imagine now the, the evolution of that, uh, uh, the quantified version of a trip report. So you mm -hmm. have all that narrative stuff, but you also have objective data through wearables. You have the, uh, validated self-reports before, during, and after. You have some longitudinal data, um, and you have it across huge cohorts, across multiple substances, combinations of substances, different indications that people have, um, and, you're, and with the demographic data, a bunch of other stuff, all protecting people's anonymity as well. Um, the insights you could get from that would be enormous, right? And yeah. and so this is now you take that same concept and apply it to all kinds of different topics. You know, the bodybuilding communities. There's the uh, people who have cancer who are doing alternative complementary therapy, and uh, and and are you know anecdotally reporting better remission rates or something like that. But their oncologist can't really recommend these these treatments, alternative treatments, be like, well, there's not enough data. This is a way to generate the data. So yeah, we're, we're excited about that. But to answer the question, you know, we, um, within our, our research, we don't have, uh, uh, enough of that information in terms of modalities, but within the microdosing study, we have tons of different stacking. So people are stacking with all kinds of different things. But as I mentioned, the most interesting results we found were, um, uh, with psilocybin, niacin, lion's mane, in terms of combi combining a psychedelic with a non-psychedelic. Yeah, I didn't know about the niacin. I knew about the lion's mane and the, and the psilocybin, and, the, and that's and that's primarily the output of that is for is for greater neurogenesis, or is that for mental health and mental resilience, or what do you think? What, are the, what what's the intentions for? I'm not saying that this is official data, but what is the general goal for the outcome of, of stacking the niacin, lion's mane, and and psilocybin together? Well, uh, this is kind of, I'm going to be speaking out, out of my, my expertise here. So okay. I just, just, just preface that, but, but, sure. you know, my, my inter interpretation, my understanding of, 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 of it is there, if you just look at, um, lion's mane by itself, it already has a, a cognitive benefit. That's been well mm -hmm. known. It's well researched. That's why it's sold as a supplement for improving uh, cognition. And, and so there's already some evidence around that that makes mm -hmm. an improvement there. Um, niacin, you know, uh, can, can, is a vasodilator that improves the blood flow to the nerve endings. And so, uh, a theory in terms of the mechanism, mechanism of action here is that, um, you know, when you combine psilocybin, lion's mane and niacin, the niacin is, is opening up the blood vessels in the, in the body. It, then it's delivering more of the active agents, the psilocybin and the lion's mane to the nerve endings, to the areas that are atrophied in terms of uh, damaged uh, ner uh, neurons. And then that's where the neurogenesis can take place and happen. Mm. And that's what you're seeing the benefits, um, which is really a proxy. We're not actually measuring, doing structural brain scans to prove that this is happening. This yeah. is just a proxy. We're just seeing it through through these test results, this TAP test. Um, there are other tests that have been done that have replicated this in terms of the synergy between those three elements when you combine them and the impact on neurogenesis. So there is research on that uh, that does does show that there is actually neurogenesis apparently. Yeah. 
What's the tap test? It's a, it's a, uh, it's, it's a neuromuscular test that you can, um, that's done. It was originally done in a lab where you would, um, tap your fingers together really quickly mm -hmm. and, uh, with these electrodes, and then it would count the number of taps and the, the speed and the, 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 the gaps between your, your taps. And it sounds like a very simple test, but it's a validated test that, that can test for early signs of, um, uh, uh, neurocognitive decline so in the you know form of like uh, parkinson's or or, or uh, conditions like that where um you which would come up as a as a slight delay there might be a slight delay in how how your fingers are tapping and so a healthy person would generally get you know a lot of taps and there would be there would be pretty as far as i understand um with not not many gaps in there and a person that's starting to show signs of decline with there would be these little gaps now it's hard to, you have to run an analysis and algorithm on the data set to really see that signal. Um, and if you're doing um, a, a number of these tap tests over time, you know, as a healthy person, you're not gonna really show any kind of decline because we don't show it till we get until we start aging. But as we do age, you start to statistically see this decline in the results in the tap test. And that's why it's a validated test to be able to measure this. Got it. That makes sense. So then it, it, depending on how quickly your synapses fire, depends on how quickly you're responding, which depends on whether or not it's at normal or below normal levels, which then gives an indicator for some sort of effect that you'd have, whether you know, some sort of thing going on. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it, it's, it's one of, it's, you know, it's one of many uh, cognitive tests you can, you can do. Um, and we have a whole library of cognitive tests on our platform. So the spatial memory or, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, there's hearing tests you can do, vision tests, there's a bunch of other kinds of, of tests that you can do directly on the device um, to measure different things. So as a researcher, you can just mix and match them all and figure out what you want to test. Yeah. So then with that, you know, with the platform, with the Quantified Citizen and then, you know, the test, like, you know, what you talked about hooking up, like, you know, uh, AI, CGMs, Apple Watches, that kind of stuff um, to, to really kind of get more of the data into the systems. What are the, what's the, what are the suite of biofeedback tools and things you'd like to see really integrated into the system to kind of give you that total picture for someone and the collaborative research? Yeah, well, I mean, um, right now we, we, have, we have the ability directly within, within um, uh, with our, a web application with the protocol builder to to create a study that will um, deliver participant reported outcomes. So using validated assessments. So, so um, you know, a standard mental health scale. So those kinds of things are in our library. The cognitive tests are in there. We can connect to Apple Health and Google Fit databases. Mm -hmm. So we can pull in all of the wearable data um, with permission, with consent from participants. Sure. And then we can also run clinician administered assessments. So for some things um, like in clinical trials, you can't necessarily uh, have a patient um, participate, do, complete their own assessment. It has to be done by a therapist or, you know, a psychiatrist or something like that. Right. Yeah. So we have yeah. that ability too. I'd say beyond that, um, you know, we can, we can through APIs directly connect to certain wearables to, to mm -hmm. consumer grade EEGs. Mm -hmm. I think that would be pretty exciting to start to um, connect to a lot of these other devices. Uh, and because there's this movement towards um, uh, digital phenotyping, it's called sort of this idea of, of creating a kind of um, mapping out the human behaviorome, you know, like we had the human genome project. This is like the human behaviorome project. It's like we have these behaviors that these signatures, these digital signatures of our behavior, our health behavior. And, uh, and other behaviors that affect our health. Um, and 
if you can start to map that whole thing out, then you can start to create a predictive model of human behavior when it, in a certain domain. So that's something we're excited to be working on when it comes to health behavior. The more data we have, the more participants that are participating in research studies, that, that we can be running predictive algorithms on their studies, running live, constantly improving itself, and then getting to the point of being able to predict based on just a little bit of data from a new user, what's the likely outcome or what kind of intervention would be most suited for them. So, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it sounds science fiction, but it's totally, totally possible. And, you know, this is being done. If you think about this, uh, the most advanced behavioral research is happening at Facebook and Google and, and Instagram and these, these, you know, but they're being, it's being used to hack our attention to sell us ads, right? It's mm -hmm. basically taking that same advanced AI, but running it towards and optimizing for what's the best, what's the, what's, how do you optimize for healthy outcomes? Mm. What's the most optimal path for a healthy outcome that can be generalized across a community? There's people with certain conditions and also to the level of an individual at a personalized level. So this kind of introduces this world of personalized medicine. Yeah. And so where, the, but the only way you can get there is you need to be contributing your data. You need, the more you contribute, the more insights you get and the more personalized uh, knowledge you learn. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, where it seems like we're going as a society, you have this whole uh, institutional health mechanism that you talked about. It feels very depersonalized. You go through the whole process and there's bells and whistles and you've got to get approval of approval of approval versus you con connecting directly to your own thing to where you can get precision health and more or less be your own doctor to a degree. Obviously, go to specialists and do what you need to. Right. So if you see so if you can see an abnormality, you're like, OK, obviously, I, I need to go see a hormonal expert. Or I need to go see, a, you know, whatever it might be so that you can kind of get your vitals checked um, along the path, which, which sounds amazing. I also imagine something along the situations where you can see like, oh, you're you're around a bar and it's late at night and you seem to be spiking. Um, obviously, there's some sort of, you know, your pupils are dilating. You maybe maybe you might want to re remember the fact that you stopped drinking last month or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I oh, yeah. love. I love where this is going because you talked about hacking your attention, but in a, in a healthy way to actually get you the results that you're seeking, which is longevity and health and um, and really just empowering the user to be able to do that. Uh, and you talk about what I think is really interesting. You talk about predictive models of health behavior. When you're saying that, is am I getting this correctly when you're talking about like, oh, I see a spike in your HRV. Are you, are you stressed right now? Or when, can you define just a little bit more about health behaviors and what that looks like? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, so like, so there's something called, um, that's taking off in the States and around the world as well called measurement based care. Uh -huh. And it's, it's a way of providing treatment care to, to patients, um, where you're collecting, you're taking measurements, you're using standard assessments and it could be like a psych psychiatric clinic is just using validated mental health assessments over time. That's a, the simplest way, uh, simplest version of that. They send a form, patient fills it out, they start to see a trend. Now you add. Now if you supplement that with wearable data, like you said, HRV data, uh, it's a good mm -hmm. proxy for stress, sleep data, activity data. Now you have a bigger picture, a more full picture of that patient. Um, and so, you know, when before you have that, if a patient comes into the psychiatrist, like, hey, doc, I'm not feeling well. Uh, I think you should change my meds. 
Um, and, uh, and the doctor's like, well, how, how are you, how's, how's it going? How's your exercise? How's your sleep? You know, I don't know. It's okay. Okay. Well, they just have to trust the patient and be like, yeah, I guess, you know, all right, well, I guess I'll just improve and change your meds. Now, if you contrast that to the, the measurement based care model, now that the, the doctor can have a baseline of all this information and get, could get alerts and could then notify the, the patient or when the patient comes in and says, Hey doc, I think I need my meds changed. Doctor can say, you know what? We know there's a very strong correlation between your your mental health outcomes and your sleep and activity. And I'm seeing that your sleep is really going to the shits and you're not moving much. So before I change your meds, let's get you on an exercise regime, start moving a little bit more, and let's come back. Let's see, I'll send you another scheduled mental health assessment. We'll see how you're you're doing. And then if things are still not so great, we'll change your meds. So this kind of this kind of measurement-based care leads to better health outcomes empirically it's been proven that's why insurance companies actually will endorse it by paying to reimburse um, physicians there's a code and everything for taking these measurements so that's kind of the 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 future um i don't know if that answers the question if um it, it answered to a degree i mean it really let me know that like you know everybody wants to have a pill give me a pill and solve my problems but it sounds like it, it's it's uh you know diet oh. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking yeah, about um, health behaviors and you talked about measurement based care. Yes. I, I got, I, I thank you for that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. where, where I was going with that is, um, uh, so when you can, um, when you can start to, um, when you're measuring, uh, people's behaviors over time mm -hmm. and then you see, and then say they have a psychotic break or some episode, something happens, some dramatic health uh, event happens but you have the data that that is related to that, and then now you you generalize that across a large population. You can start to predict what when it's going to happen. And so this is done. Uh, this is done for uh, kids with um, uh, uh, different kinds of um, uh, like Asperger's syndromes and different conditions like that, where before they have an episode, it's not even. Sometimes the 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 parent can't see it happening, but there's an elevation in heart rate or there's some biometric signal that is a predictor of a particular episode that's about to happen. And if you can get the feedback before the episode happens, then you can actually intervene. Uh, another example is there's an app for the Apple Watch for people with PTSD who have PTSD nightmares. It's a serious thing. And every time you have a PTSD episode, it's re-traumatizing the brain, making it easier to have that event again. Uh, so it's very negative. You want to reduce the number of episodes you have um, and so these nightmares are really uh, horrible experiences, but there's a proxy for that. You can see based on the heart rate data and other information that comes from an Apple watch, whether someone is about to have a PTSD nightmare and the watch can simply tap the person without not enough that it wakes them up, but it disrupts their pattern and they don't end up having the nightmare. So this is a, an example of a digital therapeutic that's using predictive modeling to, to, to help people have, be healthier. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of examples of this and you just imagine amassing all of these kinds of health conditions and having a huge data set. This is just inevitable. We're going to continue to, you know, apply more and more sophisticated algorithms to these data sets, generating more and more predictive models to the point where it, all it needs is just a little bit of input from you and it starts to classify you as being within a certain cohort and providing certain probabilities of certain outcomes and then learning real time based on your actual data and improving itself. So it's a predictive modeling 
future that's personalized as well as generalized. Yeah, and that's amazing about that. So sometimes we talk about this and it's big data and everybody throws a big data and we'll be healthier. It's such a broad comment, right? It's so, it's such a vast thing, but when you can nail it down to something like that. And so that was incredibly helpful. Having a story about that, how you're saying, okay, there's an Apple watch, you get PTSD, you go to bed, it triggers that it's negative because you're basically re, re making those grooves deeper and deeper. So it's easier and easier to fall into PSD. So then the watch just frictionlessly reminds you and kind of just nudges you out of it. There, right there is an, I think an, an incredible example that's it's tangible that people yeah. can grab onto versus, yeah. and that's why I'm, you know, with these things, the conversation I'm having with you is trying to really dig into some practical, tactical examples of what's the major benefit, um, you know, because I think some people are resistant to fe feeding a ton of data into a giant machine online, like we unknowingly did to Facebook and everything else, right, where it doesn't serve us, right, it just controls us, but you, you can you illustrate some of these really good points, the Asperger's and, and being able to, to predict you know, uh, episodic break, something going on and be able to intervene before it happens as an, as a telltale indicator. It's incredible. Is there any other stories like that specific examples? And maybe one more, we can shift on to something else that come to mind about a very specific benefit of you talked about these large predictive models, having precision health benefits to an individual. Any other examples? Um, yeah, I thought was incredible. Uh, I was really excited about that. And so I was going yeah. if there's anything else. Of well, I mean, um, you know, I, I know there's lots. I, I'm just trying to think of of uh, what else that's been that's been well documented. Um, I mean, just you know, j I mean, okay, one that's just that totally blew me away was, um, and this is not really a, a, a necessarily a, a predictive model or anything. It's, it's just more of a a, a a fact that so it's it, it just about the comparison between um, SSRIs and exercise and that there was this, that it took like so many years to be able to publish this study for it to even happen to compare um, SSRIs for depression for, to, to just moderate exercise that found that they were equally as effective. Um, so it's like, what the fuck are we doing? Right? Like we're spending so much money on, 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 on these drugs and, and keeping people hooked on these drugs when we know, and now this isn't for everyone, but that when we know that that uh, moderate exercise can be just as effective, so you know why is it that we're not uh, doctors are not prescribing these uh, exercise more uh, for to patients? I mean, I know you said it before. We like to just take a pill, make the condition go away, um, but I mean that's something that's been um, generalized. It's it's something we've 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 learned, uh, but um, yeah, I can't. I, yeah, I can't think of another example that's remember. very specific to like the Apple Watch one and, and the PTSD if nightmares. If it comes up. But, yeah, yeah, if it does, I'll, I'll, I'll come and load it up. up. Yeah. And yeah. To answer the question of why do they prescribe pills over exercise, because it's difficult to make a man understand something his paycheck does not allow him to understand. So if somebody is getting commissions on every time they subscribe a pill versus go out and work hard, it's like, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to go get paid. And then I'm just going to go and take my next shift. And that's the difficult thing with that. But it, if you have that modality that allows people to directly connect, you talked about the Silicon Valley bros, which I giggled about of them taking the micro because they know that there's a benefit and, and the chances for them to get around and waiting years or decades to, for them to be told something that they already know. It feels like the medical industry doesn't really have our best interest. They'd rather keep themselves safe, wait until there's a mountain of data 
than trying to focus on the latest and greatest technologies that are already out there that you have a wave of lobbyists and mental health industries that are pushing against yeah. you. So so that they, uh, what I like about this is you're empowering your own citizens to be able to come together, to be able to um, actually uh, take steps to become healthier and have a longer life. Uh, have you have you seen anything with, um, is there anything on the horizon of like, because I, I, I imagine envisions of like people being able to get like, being able to 3D print their own drugs or people being able to like have, you know, uh, I. I know I can. Uh, I went and I signed up for like the the, the Forward Health app, and I, the reason why I did is they could take a look at my 23andMe. They could look at it and go, "Hey, here's what's going on with this. You might be, you might want to. You know, like I have like things with my eyes because I have blue eyes, so I can, you know, I have a chance of some issues in the future. So you might want to do A, B, and C to take care of that in the right. future, right? So, um, have you seen any things where they're looking at like like uh, DNA data? And then outputting anything um, besides like psychedelics and psilocybin, uh, things that they can kind of re-empower themselves to take action. Sorry, just taking DNA data and then being able to have that, like provide a custom psychedelic. Like, what I'm saying I, is, it, my point what? was, I was trying to example of make an example of taking data that's your own. Yeah. Getting some extra advice on it. Is there anything that people are future using things? And I, I made up a term under uh, of like 3D printing your own digital drugs, right? right. Cause you can go take psych psilocybin or anything else. Yeah. Is there anything else? Cause we do, obviously we know diet, exercise, avoid sugars, get a lot of sleep, meditate, yeah. journal, yeah. you know, have loved ones, deep connections. You don't need a lot of science and data to be able to actually know that that's what you're supposed to do. Everybody. So how much yeah, data yeah. do you need beating over your head to know that that's the things you're supposed to do? We understand yeah. exercise, diet, friendship, connection, purpose. Got it. Check. Is there yeah. anything in terms of like cutting edge technologies that are coming out that you see that are really interesting to be able to help people? That was my point. Cutting edge technologies are coming out that are interesting to help people. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there's like, I think, um, you know, I think that, that it, it's, there's, 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 I mean, just like, like if people don't have a wearable device, I'd recommend, you know, getting one yeah. or a ring or an Apple watch or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just that the, the, you got, yeah. So it's like, there's lots of others, but, but I mean, it, the, the, the sophistication that's coming, you know, these are becoming medical grade devices and, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, uh, you know, be able to measure, you know, um, oxygen levels, like blood oxygen level while you're sleeping to s detect if you have sleep apnea or things. I mean, this, that's kind of amazing. Like to be able to have a device that's constantly measuring that that's, that can be quite empowering from a health point of view. Um, it doesn't seem disruptive right now because it just is so ubiquitous, but in terms of other tech, um, I mean, I think there's a lot of promise in, in the micro, in the microbiome, in my opinion, mm. uh, I think that, you know, we know that it, it's an under, under-researched area. We know that it changes rapidly. It, it's, it's something that has an epigenetic effect on our genes, it, it, our, our behaviors. Um, you know, every time, apparently, you know, if you in a new relationship, you, you get reseeded with different bacteria. If you change locations, you develop a new, new microbiome. Um, and that has this huge impact on your health. And it's just something we don't quite understand, but it's an easy thing to test. Um, like there's lots of testing companies that will actually test your microbiome. Um, yeah. It's just, we don't have, it's an early science. So we don't have a lot of um, data on that yet. Um, 
uh, I heard I heard something I had um, on that note. I had some, I had another podcast uh, guest on, and I talked about like future tech and what he wanted to see. And I thought this was actually brilliant. And then I don't think we're there yet. Ready? He goes, "I wish I could poop in my own toilet, and it could do a microbiome test." The smart pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Is that a thing? Is there anything like that out there on the, on the horizons? Because to me, I personally, I was like, yes, because it seems really important. So I don't know. Well, is there? Yeah. There is so there's there's a um, there's there was a research project that was done I think in uh, I could get this wrong I think it was in Boston but it okay. it but basically it was it wasn't at the personal level it was at a yeah. community level so basically they had a bunch of samplers at different points within the sewer system uh-huh. and so they were taking they were sequencing the the microbiome in the, the collective poops of, of the community <laughs> over time yeah. and. And dur- during like um, a football game that was happening and stuff like that, and they mapped it all and created this really beautiful visual, um, <laughs> which is pretty wild of the different communities of bacteria. So, the 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 uh, the, the the interesting thing about that is that you could detect uh, it theoretically. You could track disease uh, in real time, nearly real time. Yeah. Um, like you could detect the health of a community at the neighborhood, potentially at the neighborhood level. Like you, there are privacy issues, obviously, to all this, but whatever resolution is the right resolution, um, potentially you could you could take like a like as the cost of these come down, just to yeah. be able to put them into the sewer system and make it part of the a public health system, yeah. um, kind of starts to make sense. And uh, um, so you know, and if there was uh, you know some serious uh, disease or condition that was spreading. Um, you could maybe isolate it, right? So, so that that could be there could be a benefit there. Wow, I, you know, when you said that, what it made me think about is almost like having like these um, communities, quantified citizen communities, or somebody where everybody gets together. You know, they all pitch on the thing. Okay, okay, we're gonna we're gonna put these sensors underground. You know, we're gonna have the red saunas. We're gonna have all of these different types of elements where everybody comes together. There'll be, you know, the plant-based ceremonies over here, the genetic measurings over here, and you actually would have this totality, and they all kind of contributed together to say some sort of quantified citizens like a community section. You could all yeah. look at the the your your actual community, the united front of 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 your local humanity coming together to check your you know your global gut health. That's really cool. That's a really yeah. cool concept as a as a thing, you know. Yeah. I'm, I can yeah, see people be, in the future. Yeah, yeah, it'd be pretty wild. I mean, like, I, I think that there is a kind of exciting opportunity for to accelerate human health. Um, you know, this is just a pretty wild idea. But like, if yeah. to to what you're saying, like, if you could say, look, you know, we're gonna let's say we get some funds from some big companies to do something like this, and we say, look, we're gonna pay, you know, a thousand people, ten thousand people to be full time research subjects. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna you're gonna do tons of drugs, and you're gonna do <laughs> tons of intervention, and you're gonna get paid to do it, you know. And and, and, you're, and and we're gonna you know, but it's in the name of science, and so everybody is like consenting, and and you're collecting tons of data, blood samples, poop samples, like brain scans, like you're just you and each participant could potentially be contributing to multiple studies at the same time, um, and uh, and they're contributing, and and they're the data that they're contributing is going to benefit humanity because they're, they're the kind of research you could do at that, at that scale could be, you know, you could really accelerate some, some insights. So 
I mean, it's, it, it, you know, I don't know. It's a pretty, pretty wacky idea, but kind of fun. Wacky. Sure. Hear that? I, as you hear, I could hear, I could hear a thousand people just going, "Shut up and take my money! I'm in." You know, I can see that it's almost like a human biome, right? Where you, you know, you have the biome of yeah. plants, right? But you have this human optimized biome thing where they put you inside a room. Okay, we're going to feed you the best oxygen. You're going to be okay. But at night, you're going to put on your EEG caps and you're going to plug in all your devices and you're going to go to bed. But then at the end of it, you know, you, you could take a look at their, you know, whatever their, their, years and all that jazz and be like, oh, wow, wow we've been actually able to roll back the clock for years. You know, yeah, it's, it's a really I could see I could see people jumping all over that, you know, and and, and to be a, a lab rat that also sounds, uh, you know, extend your longevity, have a good time and contribute to science. You know, that's, yeah, that's pretty I mean, cool. the objective would be like, look, you you're 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 going to commit to, ex, you know, to experiments that are going to optimize your health and well-being. Like who would say no to that? That sounds pretty rad. And, you know, and, and it's like, oh, and you get you get like the equivalent of like a UBI or, you know, in you know, like you're you're. You, you get paid to do that like yeah. or you pay i mean however who knows how, how the monetary uh way with the incentives would work exactly but i think there's ways that it could be worked out um i think it would be pretty awesome like you know it's just like i'm gonna commit a year to be the best human i can and all the i'm gonna learn tons about myself i'm gonna be healthier after that and all this data that i help contribute will help all these other people you know that that sounds like i mean it would be an amazing research project but that also sounds like a um a service that somebody would give to like the the topper echelon of humanity is like, look guys, you don't need to work anymore. All right. You just got to, it's going to be a couple, a couple zeros out of your bank account and you're going to go to here and you're going to get a chance to spend one year fully optimizing yourself. But you also, we're going to anonymize it. We're going to throw it back in the collective good, you know, but you just got to commit. We'll have the gourmet chefs come in. You'll make yeah, sure yeah. to do all this, but you just gotta, you just gotta go through and, you know, uh, participate in the community because I could see I could I could see a big company coming in and doing it, but I could also see uh, affluent people coming in and going, um, yeah, sign me up. I I'd like to be healthier, younger, fitter, faster, better, smarter, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So that's incredible. Yeah. You um, have to compare to a control though for people who aren't doing that <laughs> as well. So that would that would be the that'd be the yeah. shady group to be in if you're yeah. in a group that was like, no, you're gonna eat McDonald's every day, or you're gonna oh, do that. no, <laughs> or you're yeah, just not going to do anything out of the ordinary you're just going to be yourself but yeah, yeah you get a whole bunch of supersized me people coming through there <laughs> right uh, yeah just the biome right you could see that going through there it'd be uh very different very very different uh so so fun so talking about the quantified decisions you have a mission you have a vision you know what i'd say is like what is like the i call the holy grail like what is the the flag in the sand on top of a mountain you're hoping to achieve by creating quantified system. What's it, what does that end game look like for you? I mean, it's, it's, it's really about accelerating health insights so that we can improve humanity. Right. I mean, it's, it's, re it's really about improving the overall health, the health and well being of humanity. And so I think that, um, so that's like about longevity you talked about. It's just about just, you know, flourishing. It's, 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 being happier and so i think that um that we we can do that as i talked about with you know you you, you the more we understand how it what are the what are the what are the things that impact our health what mm -hmm. are the behaviors that impact our health because it's it's there's other factors besides behavior that impact our health but the things that we can learn uh, on the behavioral side is an area that we can we can specialize in and really understand that kind of as we talk about this human behavior 
um, project and and then start to uh, uh, predict and generate, you know, insights that could help inform, you know, healthcare systems, insurance companies, you know, uh, providers to say, okay, well, look, this, the evidence is overwhelming. These are the things, these are the programs, these are behaviors, these are the things, the combinations of, you know, things to do that um, maximize um, well-being, but then also that can be uh, hyper uh, personalized to the individual. Um, so it's kind of both, it's, it's about improving the, the wellness and, and, and health of humanity and, but in, and empowering individuals to understand what it is to, that they need to do to optimize their own health. So it's kind of both scales at, at once. Um, so, you know, I personally, I'd like to get to, I'd love it if uh, we got to the point where, especially with our citizen science version of the platform, where, you know, some kid, you know, in the not too distant future has some kind of weird hypothesis, you know, that some claim, some health claim, you know, it's, ah, I think, you know, smelling my farts makes me do better at math or something like that. And, you know, no, teachers no, like, okay, yeah. you know, like, that's a weird hypothesis, but like, <laughs> okay, how would you test that? You know? And uh, like, what kind of experiment, how would you set up, you know, how do you think more, you know, in a scientific way, uh, increase scientific literacy. And so then it's like, well, you can run your study on the quantified citizen platform. So, you know, have a bunch of kids smell their fart, uh, do, do a standardized math test and kids that don't smell their farts and do a standardized math test. Obviously it's a ridiculous idea, like obviously, but I don't know. But what if, what if, what if, like there's going to be some harebrained ideas like that, that, uh, that generates some interesting signal and mm. we'll be like, Oh wow. And some that go viral, right. That, and, and that's like, Oh fuck, this is such a weird, totally ridiculous study, but you know, 10 million kids did this study and the, and the strength of the signal is so overwhelming, you can't deny it. And it leads to some kind of health discovery. It unlocks something that then leads to, the, to a newer uh, opportunity. And so I look forward to a day, and this is part of the sort of vision, where a young kid who is not a trained scientist has an idea and they are able to test it. It goes viral and it actually leads to a real impact on health. And they're up on stage at some future TED type event thing talking about their research that they came up with that went viral that led to some major health innovation. Like that would be amazing. That's the true, for me, the true democratization of health research. Yeah, I mean, that'd be incredible because that is part of the thing is like it, the, the whole, you're not an expert, so I don't validate your opinion. But then really switching that to say empowering anybody that has any idea to really go for it and but use protocols, procedures, systems, frameworks, technologies to say, yes, I understand it sounds crazy that hopping on one leg actually makes you live longer, you know, much like saunas, right? Stay, yeah. Going yeah. going to a hot room for a long period of time and we're going to decrease your mortality rate, right? Like, oh, that sounds crazy. That sounds crazy. But being able to actually apply it and test it in a way where we're all collectively discovering what is the optimum health for not only the individual, but humanity, a really yeah it's a really good future yeah because why not like for experiments like that that are around human health it doesn't you don't need to have a phd to come up with a study on that i mean it's just you're you just need to understand how to how to how to formulate a hypothesis and how to test it and you can build a lot of the intelligence of a clinical researcher into the software itself 
And so, so that, you know, and, and get feedback from people from the community as well to improve your, your, your protocol. So, I mean, that's kind of um, the idea, but we also want to make sure that, that in, in, in the name of open science, that every protocol, we have a markup language for our protocols and our platform. So, uh, so you can actually um, uh, share a protocol with other researchers. You could fork a protocol. So if someone comes up with a cool um, study, someone else can replicate that or they can change it, they can fork it with attribution. So it's kind of like the, the, the open source software model for research protocols, uh, which helps address the replication crisis, especially in behavioral science. That's interesting. It, it, it's almost like the, the GitHub of health protocols. Yeah, yeah, it's like the GitHub of health protocols for sure. That's super interesting. Uh, so if the... <clears throat> Holy flail. By the way, I can't stop thinking about the kid who farts and, and creates a test out of it and then tricking some other kid like Bodie McBoatface style of actually of, of false in the following. But with that aside, I just can't. Sorry, it's in my head there. Uh, but with the kid who is eventually going to one day test this out with a fork protocol that then can validate something that is unobvious and creates a unique solution that then can be applied to the masses like cold therapy or anything else that we've, you know, discovered along the way of this journey. Um, for you, what is the dragon? Like, what is the thing so difficult to overcome that's going to be the greatest challenge for you to make that dream a reality? Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's a few things. I mean, we're, um, it's hitting that, that critical mass of, of revenues and, and users, right? So we're a startup, we're, you know, venture backed, we're, uh, we've, we've done complete, completed two successfully oversubscribed rounds and we're entering our third round, our seed plus round right now, actually. Um, but the market's kind of, uh, a bit scary right now in terms of that investment market. So, um, you know, that's, there's a, there's there's a dragon right there, you know, just funding itself, right? Um, and uh, and you know, it's also the if we build it, will they come? I mean, they are coming. We have lots of users, we have customers coming. Um, that's growing. We have traction. Um, is it enough to get to where we need to go, right? Um, so you know, those are just our own like uh, you know valid concerns and and but also but also just like for me personal fears. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, there, there's that there's going to be also just, um, uh, another one around, um, and it may not be a big, as big of a deal as we think, but just around, uh, how, um, uh, personal, like privacy around data, like right now right. we've been very, very, um, intentional about making it super privacy centric. You know, we don't collect any personally identifiable information. There's no, not even an email or, you know, user, you know, uh, uh, there's no IP tracking. Like it's just, we're completely anonymous. There's some pros and cons to that, you know, uh, we, you know, so we can use a third party KYC, uh, service to, to validate, verify identity without us knowing that that could be useful for some clients. Would that turn off? Some of our uh, users, we don't know yet. We need to kind of, so, and and uh, and do we need to be always in that way? We started that way because of the nature of some of the studies that we're doing on psychedelics, because of the illegal nature of them. We didn't want people to feel worried about being honest about um, their responses. Uh, but, you know, um, 
so that how people relate to us related to privacy and where we go with privacy could mm -hmm. potentially be another another dragon. Mm, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, part of you know being a, an entrepreneur in the startup space is is being able to stay in the fight, and you need yeah. revenue to make that happen. So that 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 makes a ton of sense. I mean, the the desire of being able to take control of your own health, being able to use psychedelics to make that happen and, and really find the best protocols and systems. There's a, there's a need there, but it sounds like one of the things you just have is what's the best way for you to monetize when you don't have the number one thing that people use to monetize is using people's data to monetize off of them, which is what Facebook and everybody else has done. So because you have a, a, a personal code of ethic of saying, we're not going to take your data, it makes it more challenging, but also you're, you're providing major benefits. So there is a need there just figuring out just what's yeah. that what's that magic framework for you guys that can serve your customers while still keep you um you know uh healthy and thriving yeah. as a as a business entity yeah so. i mean we do take data i mean people so you know that that is the currency of 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 our platform is is health data and that is why customers pay to host their studies on our platform because they get access to engaged participants who contribute yeah. health data through the through studies right so they are getting data it's just anonymous data, yes. um, but, so, but yeah, so, and we're not, and do, but would we, we get, it would be more valuable if we had more data about them, sure. but we're trying, we're trying to be very ethical and, you know, about this and, yeah. and, and, and just really be clear about like, we don't want to cross that line. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to go feed them ads about Viagra, right? You no. Know, yeah. 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 A hundred percent. And that's, and that's what, and that's, it's honorable. And I think that's a, uh, while it, I think it, it impacts your short-term games, I, I imagine the long-term because of the goodwill and the fact that you know that you're, you're in it for the right reasons, um, I think it's going to serve you. So that's, that's beautiful. Uh, is, is there anything else you'd like to let people know um, about you, Quantified Citizen, or anything else you're doing before you tell them how to get a hold of you? Yeah, maybe just like, um, uh, you know, I, I guess the... the uh, uh, I kind of mentioned this a little bit, but the, you know, one, one thing that we're, we're uh, really trying to promote and just get the meme out there is around this concept of, you know, you agile, you know, agile development, right? Mm -hmm. So agile research, imagine applying agility to, to research. So it's like, what's the MVP of a research study? You know, how do you come up with a really basic? And so we call these, you know, just like pilot studies and you can come up with a really quick, very quick study. Uh, and then get some initial feedback from that. It's similar to like if you do an a, a simple ad, kind of four-hour work week, Tim Ferriss model, like see, do you get a signal? Does that give you enough justification to start the business in that area? In the same way with research, you can do this. You can do these simple studies that give you a little bit of feedback, enough to, enough of a signal to then say, okay, well, can I enough to test your hypothesis? Now, with that information, that can feed a more rigorous study that then you go through research ethics for say a, more of a prospective observational study. Now you get more data from that that then can inform a clinical trial and so on and so on. And so each ladder, each time you step up, you're getting into a more complicated and sophisticated and expensive type of research study, but you're de-risking it at every stage. So rather than starting at the clinical trial space, you can start at this early stage. And with that data, it can de-risk and accelerate your, your research and, and inform your spending in your clinical trial space. So that's one concept I'm really trying to get across to a lot of uh, people out there, um, especially in the psychedelic space. Um, uh, and um, what else? I guess the other one is this, this um, 
concept of um, uh, of um, health research as a kind of recipe. Um, so we, you know, when we, we again, when we think about you know, we're you know, we're tech entrepreneurs, so we apply you know that kind of lens onto health research. And it's like, well, how, wh what's actually happening? What, what is a research study? And if you boil it down from a data point of view, it's like, oh, it's a, it's a series of collections of, of these standard health measurements, these assessments that are done, these tests over time. And you collect that together and that becomes, that's your protocol, that's your study. But it's also, you can think about it kind of like a recipe, these ingredients. And, um, uh, and so, you know, uh, the, in the case of the protocol, the instructions are the uh, are for the researchers to be able to run the experiment, and the ingredients are the measurements made on human subjects. And so, uh, what we're trying to do is provide a reliable source of high ingredient uh, quality ingredients that are pre-measured. So, mm. what we've done is we've taken the concept of a study, and 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 broken it out into shareable uh, components. So, so. So for instance, if a user joins the platform and they've already contributed, they've already completed parts of that ingredient, they've already completed say a demographics or a personality assessment or a mental health assessment. And that that's also part of that new researcher's study that they're about to join, rather than redoing it because that's redundant, the study just asks the user, hey, you've already completed you know, 40% of the study. Do you wanna share that with the researcher? Do you consent? Mm -hmm. And then you can override those values if you want. So, mm. by by uh, by making by having shareable components, it actually makes the whole point uh, process of participation more efficient. Uh, you know, it's easier for the participant to complete a study, so compliance levels go up, and for the researcher, they get higher participation rates as a result of that efficiency. Um, but also what we've done is we've even taken the measurements, these components as atomized assessments that users can do on their own. So mm -hmm. if you want to just track within the realm of mental health, you know, your mental health using a PHQ-9 assessment or DAS-21, you know, these are different mental health jargon assessments or whatever, you can track that and see how that changes over time and how maybe it correlates with your wearable data. And that, now you, you're collecting all this data on yourself without even joining a study. You're just taking components of, of the studies, the ingredients, and, and then, and then um, uh, mixing and matching them and learning about yourself. Now, if you join the study, that researcher may say, you know what, if the participant has historical data, please request access to it. So now they have historical preclinical data that they can use within their model. Um, that can provide value. So there's this this idea of like sharing these these co components can provide a lot of value and in innovation when it comes to research. And I just wanted to make sure to get that across. No, I love that, and it makes a lot of sense. So I mean, you're removing. I mean, there's I have medical records. We all have medical records, but the problem is is they're locked behind this institution, right? That the medical institution. And what you're saying is by by making you're talking about templates. You're talking about the, like, almost like a, this health recipe cookbook. Right, that you're going to be able to, every time you fill out a piece of that recipe for your own templatized cookbook, you're going to have all of these different frameworks, all of these different recipes. So then, if I go to to do another uh, cook another dish uh, with another study or something else, I'll have these things all pre-populated. 
my my yeah. data, my facts, my things like that. And I can, okay, yeah, you can have access to my Apple Watch history and my my assessments and my mental health tests and everything else. And so they get all that data. So they get better data. I get better results. They get a complete assessment. And so it lowers the friction and barrier for combining together the participant and the researcher to get overall better health results. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. you can also, as a researcher, because not all research studies are, are prospective when it comes to observational studies, some are retrospective. So they just look at um, what, what someone has done in the past or completed data. And so if you think about being able to have shareable um, measures across multiple studies within this public platform, um, uh, then you could say, okay, well, I'm thinking recipe again. You're like, okay, well, I'm looking, I want to, I'm curious about um, substance use uh, across the world by demographic and by health condition. And then you could say, we can be like, well, you know what, within our life, uh, within all the studies that have been active and that are complete, um, you know, uh, we have like seven that are using the standardized um, substance use survey and all of them are using standardized demographic survey. And a number of them have this, this other mental health survey. So you could say, okay, well, this, those are the components of my recipe. I'm just going to pull those data sets out. And now that becomes a cohort uh, of participants across multiple studies that all completed the exact same data that I needed for my, my, uh, my paper. And then they can publish that. Um, and it's all anonymous. So that becomes another way of sort of adding value to uh, re reusing, recycling the data in a way. Yeah, I know it makes sense because, yeah, because then you're all collectively looking at, okay, what are not only the best, um, not only here's, we're going to make it easy for you to have all these health modalities tracked and measured. Okay, but what is the consistency? When, I, when I'm in an area of study and I want to understand this and I want to basically contribute to the scientific um, body of knowledge, how do people typically do it? And what can I leverage to kind of just fork that knowledge set? And bring it into my own world and say, okay, great. This is how you do studies. This is this is the the background of the test taken, the data sampled, yeah. the output, the historical data, and then bring all that to the future. So instead of me reinventing the wheel every time I want yeah. to do a new study, exactly. I now have I already have the wheels together, and I can just get in my car and drive away. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I love that. That's brilliant. Uh, I think it's incredible. Um, uh, Ismail, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you being here. Um, how do people get a hold of you? How do people find out about the, um, the Quantified Citizen? What does that look like? Yeah, thanks. I, I, thanks for having me. And, and if uh, people, folks just go to quantifiedcitizen.com, that's the website. There's a contact form there. Uh, you can find me pretty easily on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter. It's just my first name, Ismail, E-E-S-M-Y-A-L. Uh, people can DM me if people are interested in in uh, um, the raise that we're currently doing. Any investors out there, then you know definitely uh, DM me uh, or send a, a contact uh, form on our website. And we have like a ton of studies that are we're really excited about that are on our platform now and lots of upcoming. Our new microdosing study, version two, based on the insights we learned from version one from the nineteen thousand participants. That new version is going to be launched. Uh, I think it's tomorrow or the next day. Um, and we have just a bunch of other exciting studies. There's a number of clinical trials that are happening. Uh, so if you want to know if you're eligible for one of those clinical trials, you know, sign up to the app and see if you're eligible for one of the clinical trials. Uh, in that case, in a clinical trial, you are given psychedelics. Um, uh, and, um, and yeah, so just, uh, and if people have ideas too, I'd love to hear it. Like any ideas for a type of study that you'd like to see or, uh, you know, anything like that, then please uh, let us know. Love it. 
Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate being on the show. Have a blessed and beautiful day. I'll see you on the other side. Awesome. Thanks, Dylan. Take care. Take care. See you small. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.